Webcology starts now only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Our guides will take you on a journey into web marketing and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It is the 10th of August, 2017. Um, August is one-third gone. I can't wrap my head around that. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media and Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. We have an incredible show for you today. This is an exciting show. This is, you know, this is more exciting than watching Brett Payne water ski without skis. <laughs> we have a speaker copywriter, search marketer, and possibly the best-looking man in the world, Joe Kletke, coming on the show um, after first break. Um, I think, uh, Dave, you came across Joel in some alleyway or a bar or something in Seattle, or at MozCon, maybe? <laughs> maybe both of these things, or all three. Maybe. Um, so, and so you got him to come on the show, which is like an incredible, incredible find, because... Um, Joel has a uh, pretty right-on perspective on things. I uh, I saw the TEDx talk he did in Calgary, and um, I really appreciate this guy. So it's, it's wonderful that he's uh, that he's coming on the show. Been kind of a uh, a week in search, eh? Yeah, it really has. Uh, it's funny. I, I thought not much was going to happen this week. I was wrong. <laughs> yep. Where do we want to go first? The uh, thing that really excites me is um google adding a swipeable um swipeable carousel to search results oh the um in shopping ads yeah and shopping that's pretty cool yeah no i think that's a that's a a neat enhancer i mean it's really 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 clear now right? like weren't we just last week we were talking about swipeable carousels um in in paid ads and and moving into organic and and whatnot and um, you know, now here we've got some new, um, you know, new additions to, to the, to the sort of carousel rotation. Um, you know, it, it, it's pretty clear. I almost want to have Cindy on again, but that would be too soon <laughs> <laughs> to go, okay, what do you think is going on here? Why is this? Um, you know, clearly they're trying to condition us though, too. um, you know, to this, to this standardized format and it makes sense. It, it's a good usable format. So I, I like it. What do you think? Um, I like it. I don't like it. It's I. It's going to be big brand heavy, but um, for the search user, it's going to get them where they wanted to go as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. So I think it's a good thing. Um, in a way, it's almost like democratizing a space that couldn't be democratized by nature of its size. Mm. You know, like we we we've been talking about how um, voice search and you know just the small screen of like a mobile search. Uh, limits the number of search results that a user might see at any given time. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe this is Google's way of trying to open this up a little bit and getting more than one top result visible at any given time, or I should say a top result from any from one brand visible at any given time. Right. 
Um, and you know what, right on the heels of it, and this just came out, or I, I think I saw this, what was this, this, this morning, but I'd heard about it yesterday. Oh, it was from yesterday. I'm like, okay, I know I'd heard about it yesterday, uh, but I just hadn't seen uh, Matt Southern's coverage, but he, he covers it um, really, really well. It's probably the best coverage I've seen uh, over on Search Engine Journal. Um, but uh, they're also adding carousels to site links for, for AdWords. So now the site links that are below <laughs> results are also now being... Uh, put into into carousel format, uh, which I really like. I'm sure you do too. And this one, I actually view it as they're going to take less space, right? You can actually get the user more organic space, although I'm sure they're just going to cram in an extra paid ad. But <laughs> theoretically, you could actually get a little extra space for um, the organic or, uh, you know, featured snippets and, and whatnot. So, but I mean, just another move, another move on, on Google's part into the paid search space. Um, and moving into these into these carousels. I mean, th this has just been the year of massive upheaval of the way paid search and mobile, um, you know, sort of interact. It's uh, it's it's really, or it's, I guess, layout would be a better word. So, very very interesting year. I'm looking forward to seeing what's coming up next in the space. Well, indeed, and as as you well know, those quarterly profits aren't going to print themselves, are they? <laughs> nope. I kind of them along there a little bit. Now, speaking of um, links from Google, and this just came out. This is over, not on Search Engine Journal, but over on, on Search Engine Land, something I wanted to make sure to touch on, and now is as good a time as any. Um, Barry Schwartz wrote a piece over on, on Search Engine Land, although you, you follow it, the, the link's actually from Google. He's reporting on a story from them. Um, it, it's not just for restaurants. The way he's talking about it is for, for restaurants, um, and that is probably the big winner, but you can now add quick URLs to reservations, menus, things like that. I mean, these are the examples for a restaurant, um, but go into your Google My Business page, everybody who has a verified one, um, and check, and there's the instructions over in, in the article. Well, I guess actually following that, the article's link over to Google. Um, there's actually instructions on where to go to look at it. Basically, you just log in and, and go to where you would edit your website. Now you're actually going to see an additional area to put additional links, um, but they only, they base it on the category of your site, which links or, or additional links you can provide. So if you're a restaurant, you could add them to your menu, into your placing order, um, you know, for, um, my site, for example, I mean, in the B2B space. Um, and I also know this is true in the real estate space. Cause I was just working on this with another client. The, you only get one option and it's to schedule an appointment. So mm -hmm. I've obviously added that in there, but it's by sector, what links are going to let you put in, but pop into your Google, my business folks, and just check what else is available. Cause it's just a bit of additional free real estate. Uh, there's some internal key pages on your site that you probably uh, would like people to get to. Okay, again, so just to reiterate, while, while Barry used the example of restaurants in his write-up, there are um, ways to add URLs that you know, might take uh, the site visitor to a page, a landing page in your site you'd rather them go to or want them to go to, and that's available by sec uh, to all sectors, right? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there'll be some available to pretty much every sector. Every sector I've looked at, I've only looked at a few as of this morning, because I'd you know, work I'd scheduled to do. Um, but mine has it, real estate has it, vacation rentals has it. These three I can confirm. Clearly restaurants has it. So I have a hunch there's something for everybody in there. Um, it just varies which ones are available in which sectors. Now, um, if, you know, if so what you can do. 
if you're running a restaurant or doing marketing for a restaurant, I don't know if Google's mentioned this or not, but I beg of you, do not link to a PDF of a menu. Just, just, just don't do that. <laughs> I know. I hate that too. I get why some restaurants do it. And it's, it's because it's easier to upload a document than to edit a website for some people. But uh, yeah, just don't. <laughs> <laughs> just, just stop. Uh, but yeah, for restaurants, for example, there's a reservation URL, open an uh, order ahead URL, menu links, right? Like there, there's a lot for restaurants in there. Um, so anyway, really, really interesting development. And and for everybody who has a Google My Business, head over, see what additional links you can grab and grab them. So um, did you hear the case of the incredibly shrinking um, cost per click payouts? <laughs> I I have I'm sort of scratching my head. Tell us the story, Jim, and and, and any okay, thoughts and you might have on why. You're scratching your head on how they did this, right? On both how and what they were hoping to get. Um, okay. No, as near as I can figure this out, um, Google was alerted to by by uh, a number of publishers that the click through rate, the click through. Um, Cost per click on their cost per click rates on their ads were declining rapidly, and this happened over the weekend. So Google set about investigating. Um, I'm sorry, started on Sunday, August the fifth. So uh, so last Sunday. So Google starts investigating, and um, they find that, in their words. A number, and I don't explain exactly what this means, but a number of their AdSense uh, buyers, uh, ad buyers, were using "quote unquote" irresponsible campaign parameters. So irresponsible parameters, lowering the query coverage for specific creative types in uh, in some countries. By doing this, they um lowered the cost per click and probably saved their advertisers X number of thousands of dollars if they were doing this at scale. They have to have been doing this at a scale large enough that, um, you know, the, 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 the CPCs for AdSense publishers noticeably declined. And this is, again, would have been around Saturday the 5th, Sunday the 6th. Gotcha. So um, why they were doing this? Well, probably to save their um, their clients money. Uh, how they were doing it, damn if I know. Like seriously, I don't know. <laughs> um, but it sounds like somebody found a cool trick to use Google's um, system against it, and uh, Google blacklisted them for it. Yeah, which of course means they'll create a new account and <laughs> just, yeah, just do it again. Uh, although Google Google did give us probably the best name for a, uh, a punk pop band, um, at least that I've heard in twenty seventeen. Irresponsible parameters. <laughs> That's the I'd nerdiest punk, punk band, band ever. Yeah, man. <laughs> of course, you have a cat named Hypertext, so let's put this in context. Well, I do. I'm, um, she's very creative. <laughs> okay what else do we got what else did you see out there um well google's going to begin notifying sites with annoying ads how do you like that <laughs> what the hell does that mean are we going to get like we have some annoying ads on this network are we going to get notified <laughs> like, what does that mean 
Um, you know, I, they've been telling us for ages what sort of layouts um, are appropriate and, and what sort of advertising above the fold versus, you know, how, how dominant can you make an ad? Um, you know, I, I think it's great. They had to go one of two routes on this one run, right? Like they've been telling us forever, sort of this is an acceptable layout, etc. Um, and then at the end of the day, though, I mean, all of us know, and heck, we can even ask Joel about it because it's kind of a specialty. But at the end of the day, what really matters is the human. So it's, it's got to be really hard for Google to go, here's the set of criteria of how things can be laid out on a page. Well, it may not be how things lay out on a page that's annoying. It may just be how I have to deal with them. Um, you know, I mean, they could even go so far as, and we've all seen them, those pages where it's like, read these like 99, you know, great images from history or whatever. And then you get there and it's like, click one, right? Like click two. Right? And every time it's just so that they can load another dozen ads onto the page. So even that could be deemed as annoying. So I think that might be why they're moving to this sort of system where they're going to warn people because it's not the same hard and fast rule set that I think they'd like to go, you know, it's not a world where you can go this in the header, X percentage of your page, you know, whatnot. Um, so I think this actually makes a little more sense. It gives them that latitude to come in and go just cause it's annoying, not because it fits these criteria, just cause it's annoying. So, um, so, so Google is really concerned about making my Buzzfeed like experience at the website. <laughs> 10 reasons cats are badass much better. Well, you know, it wouldn't surprise me to know that that's the sort of scenario that they're hitting um, because so many of us are going through to them like we are. I admit it. God, been to page, I, you know the pages I'm talking about because you can visualize the last one you went to. I, I, uh, I'm so glad we're sharing all that Chrome data with them and they're doing good work with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, OK, they went to the first two pages, realized this, you know, rabbit hole they were slipping down and exited. Right. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Um, you know what? They got a point. There are there are some some ads I, when they when they cracked down on interstitials, for instance. That was that was actually a good thing. It improved the uh, the, um, the 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 user experience for everybody on the web. But I mean, something like this. They're, what they're trying to do is take down a business model that's exploit that's exploiting their own ad system. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe, maybe this will have an effect on uh, fake news creators by forcing more people into that field. You know, if I can't show them pictures of why cats are badass, maybe I'll show them pictures on why we should nuke North Korea. <laughs> well, you'd still need to make your money off the ads, and so they still can't be annoying. Your oh, news on, you <laughs> source may change, <laughs> but your ad you structure would there. have to be different. Okay, you know what? Oh, time for ahead. one more, then we're going to have to go to a break, okay? And this one, this one I, the only reason we got time for this is because Joel is going to exploit the hell out of it, so we may as well mention it. All right. Uh, Facebook Watch. Facebook is launching a TV network. What do you think yeah. of that? Um, you know, I don't know what to think of that at this point in allowing users to interact with live TV, things like that. Um, like, I mean, obviously, I think it's, 
kind of inherently a good idea only because, and, and this is why I say this, although I actually think they're in the wrong field, I don't think it applies as well to television. Um, but I see my, um, you know, kids, for example, will be uh, one of them specifically, my youngest will watch shows, YouTube videos, for example, which uh, does sort of apply and, and YouTube's kind of getting this covered already, but, um, so Facebook's following YouTube too, but we will sit and watch one together. And it is helpful to be able to time that right. I, like I immediately saw the use of, of that. I don't know if it applies as well to Facebook as say YouTube, um, but you know, time will tell. I just, I don't, I don't quite see what they're trying to, what they're going to win here in a, in a big way. It, um, it strikes me that, that, that Facebook is trying to break into the one area that keeps the networks alive and that's live event coverage. Right. You need to have cable if you want to watch the Stanley Cup playoffs. You need to have cable if you want to watch the Super Bowl. You need to have cable if you want to watch all these like um, one-time only events. You can't get that on Netflix and, and have the same experience everybody else is having at the same time. You've got to get cable. And that's one of the few things that are keeping broadcast networks and, you know, and, and cable alive. Facebook is moving into that now. Um, it will be broadcasting a Major League Baseball game once a week. This is like uh, 2017, 2018 is going to be the year of the great experiment. And then... You know, 2018, 2019 will be the year that um, the airwaves went silent. That's that's my guess. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, you're right on on the angle of it. I I'm not. I don't have a lot of faith in Facebook on this one. But <laughs> <laughs> these guys do have an incredible habit of stabbing themselves in the foot. Yeah. Yeah, they do. But I mean, we can all see the immediate like, oh, okay, you know, in the team page or whatever, right? Having a big chat all together on Facebook, you know, cheering on, you know, your team. I could see, you know, the Olympics, you know, sort of all of Canada, right? Like in one sort of group cheering on our team. Smiley face. Absolutely, man. (laughs) So I get it. But yeah, I think like if they have a habit of shooting themselves in the foot, that's kind of where I'm like, I don't see them succeeding, but I'll bet we'll see more of this coming up. Well, um, coming up, speaking of, we got, we got to take a break. So coming up, we have Joel Kletke, um, possibly the best-looking man in the world, um, and currently the, uh, the owner of Business Casual Copywriting. He's coming up to talk to us after this break. So on behalf of Dave Davis of Beans Talking Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedge from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on Cranberry.fm. It's the 10th of August, 2017. Stick around. We're going to have a lot of fun when we come back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Are you looking for the best in WordPress speed, security, and scalability? WP Engine is a digital experience platform for WordPress, powering digital experiences for large brands around the world. With easy-to-use site management tools and powerful do-it-your-way development features, WP Engine gives you the flexibility to build it your way. Improve your SEO and conversion rates with a faster site on WP Engine. Learn more on WPEngine.com. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? 
Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E Digital.com. How much are your best ideas worth? PriorThings.com gives you an added layer of protection for all of your intellectual property, ideas, and creative things. New business idea, pitch deck, PowerPoint presentation, song lyrics, source code, killer blog posts. We help you protect it all. How do we do it? We use the same technology platform that secures transactions for Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. Learn more at PriorThings.com. Check out exclusive listener pricing for Cranberry Radio listeners by going to bit.ly slash Founders Circle. Where affiliate marketing gets its buzz and mobile has its presence. Cranberry Radio, online anytime at cranberry.fm. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Welcome back, everybody. This is Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Joel Kletke saw you at MozCon. We are joined by you here. Um, I've been looking forward to having you on the show since, uh, since I saw you talking. What... Uh, how are things going? How have things been going since MozCon other than the hectic chaos of trying to catch up? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's been great. Um, you know, been a lot of kind of head down, just trying to finish up projects and, and work on some new and exciting things and, and test some new ideas. And then uh, really under the gun because I'm, I'm headed out on a big sort of once-in-a-lifetime trip in September. So it's, uh, it's been a, a wild and crazy year and it just keeps getting better. No, I, I should know. You know what? I, I realized I was excited to have you on, so I jumped. Uh, I, I jumped right in. Business casual copywriting—that's your site. <laughs> I was like, oh, I jumped into like chatting with you about MozCon, and then didn't actually go. Hey, here's you. And and uh, as a as a um, you know thing, I suppose you are the uh, best looking man in the world, or or you were. You've now been beaten out by uh, by a few others. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Um, Dude, you've been so displaced. You like now you're like the 23rd best looking man in the world. You were displaced by a composite of George Clooney, Brad Pitt, David Beckman, and James Dornan, who uh, who's not to be confused with former Google engineer James Damore, who most women I know would agree is probably not the best looking man in the world. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I'm planning to like rise from the ashes like a phoenix. What what happened there? What happened there is I I used to work for an agency, and at the time they had just this gigantic hosting account for clients, and so I kept you know bestlookingmanintheworld.com on there, and then uh, out of nowhere one day, the site just disappears, and it turns out I got taken down off the hosting. I guess hosting the best looking man in the world was no longer a priority once I stopped working there. <laughs> and it just so happened that the way I found that out was on the evening of prepping for my TEDx talk where my ranking number one was like pivotal to the entire discussion. 
So I did some quick finagling and everything worked out. But yeah, I'm I'm gonna come back. It's it's in the cards. <laughs> Uh, all right, let's let's jump right in. And there's there's a bunch of stuff I want to cover. Jim, I know you've got like a a bunch of a bunch of questions uh, as well that, that you want to jump in with. But I'm just gonna gonna start here. Um, and let's you know I'm gonna go back to Mozcon because that's that's an easy place to uh, easy place to start because it was when I heard you speak there that I was like oh, I need this guy on the show. He can share some some great stuff with our listeners. Um. You had six questions that you listed, and I, I'm not going to make you just like off the off the cuff go. Here are your here are your six questions. I'll repeat them for our audience just to make sure we get them. Um, but what I'm going to be asking you, and I'll, I'll read them out there. Um, you know, questions you should ask about every conversion. Um, you know, in creating great content, what is it? Who's it for? Why should I care? How does it work? Why trust you? Like these are questions that you should be asking about your content that your visitors should be asking. Um, and what next? Uh, I.e., what's the next the next action to take? Why are these six things important? And what am I supposed to do with this information? Right. I mean, the, where those questions came from is in working on landing pages and in working on content. Um, I was looking for, you know, we, we see a lot of people talking about the different elements. Oh, you need a great headline and you need a great sub headline or you need a really powerful call to action. But I think people have gotten so focused on the individual pieces of the puzzle that they've missed the forest for the trees. And so I wanted to find sort of a formula or a framework that anyone, whether they're a great writer or a terrible writer, could start with to put together a page that kind of checks off all of the questions that a customer brings with them into a landing page and systematically answer those. Because what we don't realize is that landing pages or any piece of content really is a conversation between the information you're sharing and the questions that a lead brought with them. Um, and if you can answer those questions and if you can answer them in a way that you know clicks with that person and leaves them feeling satisfied, then you've primed yourself for a great conversion. But if you leave these gaps in information, if they're things that go unanswered, uh, that's where you find leads bouncing. That's where you find people leaving because they don't have the information they need to make a decision or to move ahead. So now, I mean, you bring up a good question. Well, you bring up a good problem that we all, I think everybody faces this in some way. I don't care who you are. Expedia with billions of dollars put into solving this problem. They still have this problem in some ways. Okay, so we've got a, we got a gap, but we don't know what it is. Like, where do we go to try and figure out what gaps in our content when, when people are coming and they're bouncing, where do we go to try and figure out why that happened, what they've been missing um, when they were at our site? Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I think it's, it's one of those things that's kind of hiding in plain sight. So it's a little bit like that, you know, when you're a, a geeky teenager and you feel so misunderstood, Oh, I, why don't girls like me? What do they want? And then you've never actually talked to one in your life. Talk to your customers. I mean, these are the people that are making a decision or have made a decision. The best place to go to find out the answers to things like what sets you apart or what were people anxious about when considering purchasing from you or even, you know, what are the primary questions that these people have or that they bring with them. The best way to learn that is to actually talk to them. So there's different groups. Your existing customers are a great place to start because you can get that retroactive look of why they chose you, what brought them to you, what was going on in their lives when they found you. Um, leads are another group that you can draw a lot out of because they're actively in that decision-making process. So 
great to learn what anxieties they have. You can use tools like chat to find out what information you're not giving them on the pages or the email servers or whatever you have right now. And then also a group that I didn't really talk about at MozCon, but that's also incredibly valuable is people who have left you or clients who have left dissatisfied. And the reason that's good to talk to them is find out what promises you couldn't keep or find out where you got beaten out so that you can be proactive about that and that. No, you're you're leading to to one, and I, and I was I was gonna let Jim ask a question, but then unfortunately he was like okay with me, you know, <laughs> jumping in with yet another one because it just works so well with what we're talking about. One of the things that I just I had never thought of before, I'll, I'll be honest, and that as soon as you said it, I was like, okay, I'm an idiot for not thinking of that. Seems obvious, but I talked to a few people, and it, it was good advice. You mentioned to people to help find those sort of gaps, as well as I think you were putting it more in the context of helping to to craft what you need to include in your ads or copy was reading your competitors, bad reviews. Why is that? What, what can you get from your competitors, bad reviews? Yeah. So a lot of people only read their own reviews and they draw insights from that and that's relevant. But when you look at a competitor's bad reviews, what you're seeing are people who made a similar decision or chose a different solution, but left dissatisfied. It's basically like a laundry list of all the things that your competitors are not doing well. And when you've got a list like that, now you can position yourself as the best alternative. So to give you an example, if I know that the company I work for is really good with integration, really excellent at putting together you know, integrations, and I know that's a priority for our leads, and then I look at competitors and see tons of people complaining about integrations, well, now I know. Now I can take that information. I can position us better. So it's picking out all the flaws, all the places your competitors are falling on their face so you can position yourself as the better alternative. Okay, Joel, a few moments ago you talked about um, actually reaching out to and talking to people who um, made a different purchase decision or decided to, to leave the page without actually making a conversion. Um, you've worked for large companies like HubSpot, uh, WPN, their uh, analytics, their metrics, their 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 bounces must be enormous. How do you actually reach out to the people who decided not to buy the product? Yeah, so there's a, a few different ways to go about it. One is to sort of intercept them during that interaction. So again, chat is just a fantastic tool here. Um, again, something I didn't really talk about at Moscom, but a lot of people kind of see on-site surveys and chat as like, oh, their response rates are so low, it's not possibly useful. So I'll start with surveys, then I'll come back to chat. The on-site survey is like kind of the redheaded stepchild of surveys. Like nobody has much love for it. People think that they're invasive. A lot of people do it wrong. But if you use a one-two punch with on-site surveys, you can get some fantastic insight. What I mean by that is in most situations where you're talking to customers, you want to avoid yes, no questions because it doesn't give you insight. It doesn't give you qualitative ideas or copy to draw from. But with an on-site survey, if you start with a yes, no question, that's easy to answer. So a yes, no question like, are you finding what you're looking for or is there something we can help you with? Yes, no. Once they've answered one question, now they've got a sense of escalated commitment. Well, I've gone this far. I might as well tell them what that problem is, or I might as well you know, finish up what I've done here. So then you've gotten in to ask a more qualitative question about, well, what are you missing or what could we be doing better? And then with chat, 
again, it's it's kind of an opportunity to act like a concierge. When you have a chat box pop up and you make an offer to assist someone or you ask them if there's information they're missing, now you can watch those chat logs. You can see what things people are asking over and over again or even conflicts that they have. So a lot of the times people, you know, that whole idea of like don't look at the comment section is really dangerous online, but it's super valuable in sales because when there's this kind of barrier where you're not hearing the other person's voice, people will be really candid about what they like or don't like about you. And so if there's something where they're frustrated or concerned or they've got a question or they don't like a salesperson's or support person's response, a lot of them will let you know. Um, so that's a way to start tapping into those leads that either aren't converting or need more information to convert. As far as people who have left, I think you want to go back to sort of known commodities and start with people who were at one point paying you, made a decision to buy, and then walked away. And find out, you know, look at your churn, find out why people are leaving, and keep track of that and talk to those people and see where they went or where they, you know, found a different or better solution and why that solution was better for them. And again, it's that competitive intelligence you can roll into your own campaigns and not just use for product development, but pull back into your copy so you can counter that. Okay, again, going back to some of the, just the scale of some of the clients you've worked with, um, is there ever a point where a marketer is drowning in data? Oh, absolutely. I mean, we've, we've called surveys off because we have too many responses. Um, the honest truth is that after a certain point, you reach diminishing returns. Like after I've watched 100 recorded user sessions, the odds of me seeing something relevant and totally brand new are really low. Uh, with surveys, kind of, you know, there's no real science to it, but the magic number I shoot for is anything over 200 responses. Again, you're starting to get some of this redundancy. Um, you might want more if it's a purely like quantitative type of survey, but for qualitative, which is where we deal mostly in copy, uh, you're going to start to see diminishing returns. So yes, you can absolutely be drowning in data. There's such a thing as too much qualitative feedback because it just becomes unmanageable. Um, on the other side of the coin too, I think where a lot of people in conversion and in general fall on their faces, they don't triangulate data. They take like one data point and try to make that you know, their decision maker. So for example, I've had clients where we put scroll tracking on the page and we see, oh, okay, on this homepage, well, people aren't scrolling all the way to the end. And there's a knee-jerk reaction like, oh, like that's a bad thing. We, we need to get more people to the end. It's like, no, like if your page is doing its job, then mm -hmm. there's probably a good reason they're not getting all the way to the end. So you want to have that data so you can take multiple data points and have factors in tandem to make better decisions and better analysis but at some point yeah you you do get too much qualitative data and at that point it's just taking a subset and, and being smart about how you use it okay we're um we got to take a break in a few minutes we got time for one more question before we do the break and joel this is kind of like the choose your own adventure part of the show um i'm gonna i, I figure i figure your answer is going to sort of have an influence over where we're in, the, in the next segment so uh you're an experienced marketer you've uh you know that you're in the middle of a time of uh, great change on the web, the way that we present information and relate to information. What's really exciting you right now in, in marketing? Oh, man. Uh, artificial intelligence and natural language processing because there's so much opportunity for both those things to make my job and marketers' jobs in general so much easier. 
and to take some of this heavy-handed analysis out of the equation and simplify the whole process of, of understanding what's happening and why. So I'm really excited about about those two things. Okay, that that's a cool adventure. I, I actually I can't wait to go on it with you. We'll have about 15 minutes to walk down that path, but we can't do that for a couple minutes because, friends, we got to take a break here on Webcology on cranberry.fm. On behalf of Dave Davies from BeanSock Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. You're listening to Webcology on the 10th of August. Uh, 10th of August, 2017. We're probably back after these messages. Sit tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs sends you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. More refreshing talk radio on air and on demand 24-7. Only on Cranberry Radio. Webcology takes you to the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the internet. Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies. Hey everyone, welcome back to Webcology here on Cranberry.fm. It's the 10th of August, 2017. This is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media, Dave Davies from Beanstalk Internet Marketing. And we're joined by Joel Kletke from uh, Business Casual Copywriting. Joel, I hope we're not butchering your name. Uh, Kletke, correct? Kletke, right? Yeah, you nailed it, Kletke. That's it. I get a lot of uh, like kettle and clicky and strange things from telemarketers, but uh, no, you're all good. Not on this show. We do it right every time. 
Um, Dave, um, you've been you've been writing about, thinking about, um, and as I understand, you've actually been going to uh, classes at Camosun College or UVic, studying about AI. Um, Joel chose this adventure. Where do you want to go with it? All right, and you know what's what's really interesting is on the break, I just happened to see uh, Barry Schwartz on his Twitter stream going, "Google's actually showing OK Google." In the queries, like I it's saw okay, that. mortgage calculator, and I, I just noticed it. So brilliant timing! Thank you, thank you for taking us down this path, Joel. So I'm just going to start open ended here. Then we're talking AI. Um, you listed it as uh, you know an area you're excited about right now. Why? What do we have to expect that gives you an advantage, um, or, or that makes you? I mean, I assume most of us get excited about things where we think we have an advantage. So. Why do you think this is a strong point as for researchers, and why do you think it's a strong point for you as a marketer and, and maybe helping us understand what we can do um, to, to gain from that strength? Yeah, I mean, the exciting thing for me, and it's not even like in the future, some of this is happening right now, but the first area is just kind of adding this AI layer onto existing analytics tools. Um, so there are tools out there under development where they look at the data, they analyze the data and proactively make recommendations or suggest what might be going on or flag you know, out of ordinary transactions or just even which channels are performing well. So for someone like me who gets brought into the mix to look at you know, how do we make an onboarding series better or how do we make an email series better or you know, which of these channels is performing and why, Having this AI layer that can look at what we're running for split tests or can say, hey, did you know, you know, there's been a, a bump in your referral traffic from Facebook that's converting at this percentage. Um, just taking that burden and time lag of analysis out of the equation so that we can really dig into what's going on and respond more quickly. To me, that's incredibly exciting. And then on the other side, um, or I guess there's no real sides, but just in a different area of AI, what I'm really excited about is I recently spoke at a conference called Call to Action Conference put on by Unbounce out of Vancouver. Mm -hmm. um, and at that conference, they debuted this sort of contest where it was marketer versus machine. So they showed you, know, you, you had the chance to kind of go through a, a huge swack of landing pages and guess whether you thought – that page converted above or below average. And then on the other side of things, there was an algorithm, an AI, doing the same thing, predicting whether it thought the page would convert above or below average. Um, and the whole idea was to see if marketers could beat out this machine at predicting which pages would convert above or below. Um, the machine whipped everybody's butt. Um, and, and it wasn't even close. Like I went through the whole exercise. Now, granted, there are some things I'd probably have done differently if I understood the full spectrum of it, but no excuses. I went through it. I think I came away with something like a 56.9% accuracy rate or something like that. And that was among like the higher, mm -hmm. like that was, that was good comparatively. The machine gets it right about 80% of the wow. time. And what's I really interesting is it only looked at copy. It didn't even consider design factors. We didn't know that going in, but that's all it looked at. So for someone in that field, that's incredibly exciting because the possibilities there are gigantic. 
So how do you think that's going to affect your practice? I mean, you're, you're, you're a copywriter. You have a certain sense of style. You um, have a sense of what the general public's taste is. How is this going to affect your business? So the answer isn't, oh, I'm cowering in fear. Machines are coming for my writing jobs. When I talk to the engineers about how they put this together and the challenge it was solving, what they revealed to me, what they talked about is it's, it's easier, like it's still very difficult to build a machine that can do what that does. And there's still a lot of ground they want to cover with that. But at this point in history, it's exponentially harder to create a machine that can actually write, that can understand the nuances of language, that can dissect information, that can understand an audience. So what their machine is good at is kind of looking at patterns and the way words come together and different trends and, and things that it can analyze from a finished piece of work. But what it's bad at and can't do is actually create, actually put together something that would convert above average based on that logic. So for me, it's more of like an excitement at potentially having like a, a kick-ass robot sidekick where I can run a variant. <laughs> I can run a variant I've put together you know, through that AI and kind of have the closest thing to a crystal ball as far as how do we think this will perform. Now, am I willing to cut off the whole human element of actually going and testing that? No, I think it'd be fascinating, you know, for Unbalance and for AI in general to start doing that, get that prediction and then see how it actually performs in the wild. But I'm less worried about AI like stealing my job and more excited that it's going to make me better at it. Yeah, it's funny that you listed you're coming in at what 56.9% on the upper end. I'm like, well, that means that the average, the average is as good as a coin toss <laughs> at, at, at guessing. Um, do you see a time then where you would be setting up, I don't know, you're using any of the, the optimizely unbounce, you know, Google optimize, whatever, using these and then just having the, you know, you're setting up your whatever, a redirection test. Sorry, I'm using a, a Google optimize reference there, but you know, you're setting up a redirection test and I just having it go, are, are you sure? Right? Like <laughs> you already kind of know which one's going to win. So do you want to just, just switch now, right? Or, or, or filtering and going, we're, we're 80, we're 90% sure on this one. So we're going to feed 90% of the traffic there. And we'll just test on the 10. Like, are, are, is this a sort of stuff that you see coming um, in the world of testing? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think what we'll see it in its most early format is kind of just like a barometer, like a, an indicator light that says exactly what you're saying. Are you sure? Or, you know, here's how we, how we think this this might perform and, and eventually might evolve into how you could potentially make it better or what criteria are missing or suggestions for improvement. Again, you know, the, the guys at Unbounce are really the ones to go deep on on this with as far as what the capabilities and possibilities are. But I think absolutely you know, one day I think it's totally feasible that we'll have some sort of metric or some sort of sort of assistance to say you know, we're, we're reasonably confident this one will outperform this one. And then if it's confirmed in the data, have that AI able to kind of adjust the campaign or compensate on the fly or even rotate in, you know, other, other variations for testing. Um, so again, it's this whole kind of AI layered on top of analytics that it comes back to for me that's so exciting because it can make decisions more quickly 
um, and evaluate data qualitatively and quantitatively more quickly than than we can when we're crunching numbers in Excel. Now, one, and, and I'm going to circle back to the beginning just because there's something I, I want to ask that I just want to make sure we get in here. So we had of your six, and I, I'm just reading from my notes, which were sort of scrolls because you were talking fast. It was a conference. So when somebody, with the questions you need to be asking that somebody would be asking looking at your page, what is it? Who's it for? Why should I care? How does it work? Why should I trust you? And what's next? You'd actually put down, and, and I remember the slide. I should have taken a picture of it and included in my write-up here. Um, in the header should include why should I care? What is it? Who's it for? The body should have... Um, how will it improve my life? How does it work? And why should I trust you? And in the footer, what's next? How did you come up with that as the structure? And how far are we before AI will recognize that's the structure? Um, yeah. For content in? Yeah. I mean, I, I want to, you know, tread cautiously there because really what I wanted to communicate is if you're sitting and you're wondering, you know, I need a baseline variant. I need to start somewhere. I need some way of structuring this information, then that's a fantastic place to begin. Um, the reason for that breakdown, I'm not saying you should never have calls to action in the hero section. They should always be you know, near the bottom of the page. There's lots of nuance to this, but what I'm trying to get into people's heads with that structure is that the page is a conversation. And if you answer the wrong question in the wrong order, then that conversation becomes incredibly disruptive. For example, yeah, sometimes we see social proof just chucked right at the top, and that's not necessarily wrong. But in context, if you're not telling people what this thing is or how it makes their life better, then all the impressive you know, metrics and testimonials right at the beginning of the page isn't going to do diddly squat for you because you haven't answered those foundational questions to get them to the point where they care what someone else has to say or why they should trust you. So – as kind of a roadmap or a guideline for where to start, or if you don't know where to begin in structuring your page, then make sure that hero section, nobody can leave that section without knowing that this is for them, why it's going to make their life better, or why they should give a crap about it, and then what, what it actually is. So it's more of a loose framework instead of an absolute, but that's, that's a good launching point. Now, in the course of just, say, 10 years of the last decade, we've gone from the large desktop screen to the small handheld screen being the predominant like uh, interface device. Has that changed how you think about user needs and user experience? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it has to. If you don't adjust with the way people interact with information, then you're writing and designing for you know a generation eventually that, that doesn't exist or a behavior that doesn't exist. The reason I asked such an obvious question, and I'm so sorry to cut you off, but the reason I asked such no an problem. obvious question was um, the questions that you have your clients answer seem to me to be age-old questions, age-old quandaries that uh, a purchaser has to, or a customer has to confront before making the purchasing decision. So we have a mix of old-school marketing with... Um, you know, I got for want of a better phrase, new school cool with the uh, with the small screen. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the thing is that the way people make decisions, you know, like we have access to more information than ever, and that's whole you know push the whole Google Zero moment of truth and access to information has changed. But 
at, at the core, we're still humans. There's still kind of a dialogue that happens. There's still things that we need satisfied mentally to make a decision to move forward. And so it's more about taking, you know, the way people make decisions and the psychology of how we think through things and bringing that into these new mediums than it is trying to reinvent the psychology of that or reinvent the way people think. I'd rather meet people where they're at and translate that, you know, to this new school cool than than try to reinvent the wheel and or, or, or go back in, in time and and uh, ignore things that we've learned. Okay, are people are people themselves changing? Like the um, the attention. I, I understood that at one time the average attention span of a, of a human adult was like eleven seconds, but since the advent of the iPhone, it's sort of declined into about uh, five to second, five to seven second range. Um, have you noticed the the way people relate to information change? In some senses, I mean, I'll be honest in saying that. You know, I've read those same stats and, and that kind of thing. And for as much as I subscribe to it, I also don't because I see out in the wild, people will read. There, there's this big misconception that people won't read a long sales page or they won't go through, you know, th- through the effort of trying to understand things. And it's just patently not not true. I've seen, you know, the metrics and the data and the conversions to support the fact that someone will read 8,000 words of a sales page before making a decision and for some situations that makes a lot of sense but where i have seen it for example in my work is there's an increased kind of importance of nailing the hero section it's always been important as far back as you know the first ads and and print to have a good headline but because there is to some degree some of this impatience you know the most important question to answer as quickly as you can and as effectively as you can is why should i care once you've got someone interested hooked as long as you keep leading them through those hooks as long as you keep it interesting they'll read as long as it takes until they're ready to to act um you know uh an unfortunate segue that word hook because we're about to get it here on uh here on the air we have another show coming up right behind us on the network so time is a premium joel we are gonna have to invite you back again because i have a hundred thousand more questions to ask (laughs) <laughs> well, I'm, sure, I'm sure Dave's in the same position. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Uh, yeah, I Joel mean- Cle- I'm sorry, Joel Kletke from Business Casual Copywriting. That's businesscasualcopywriting.com. Thank you so much for spending time with us on, on Webcology today. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I'd love to come back and we can unpack some more of this. Okay, friends, uh, again, that was Joel uh, Joel Kletke. We are getting the name right. We always do that here on Webcology. Business Casual Copywriting. We got to go. On behalf of Dave Davies from Beatsog Internet Marketing, this is Jim Hedger from Digital Always Media. Summer's almost over. Get out there and enjoy it. But first, there's some great programming coming up on on, uh, Cranberry.fm. Stick around the network. We'll be back next week. The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited. 